in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today is a unique day in many ways because it's Laetare Sunday, which is a special Sunday in Lent, which translates roughly as rejoice or, or be joyful. And so Laetare Sunday is, if you like, a break in the darkness and the gloom of Lent in which we remember that the gospel is actually a joyful thing. It's something that we should rejoice in. And although we can focus on penitence and, and sin and darkness in these seasons and that there is some spiritual good in that, nevertheless, we have to rejoice in the fundamental goodness of the message that we have. And of course, today is also Mothering Sunday as well, which is a, which is a very special and important day to consider. And I want to say some things about mothers and I'll try and weave that into the, the sermon as, as things go on a bit later. Now, we've just heard the probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But I don't want to start with that passage. I want to come round at it because it's one of those passages which we've just heard so many times. You know, it's easy to it's easy to not notice it. It's easy to become complacent about it and, and what it means. And so what I want to do is I want to start with an utterance of Jesus slightly later on in the passage where Jesus observes that men love darkness more than light and that those who do evil avoid the light and hate the light. Now, I think there's a, a general psychological truth to this as well being a more as being a more uh, as there being a more specific application the general psychological truth i think is that we all live with a standard we all live with a sense that you know i should be something there are things that i should do there is something that i should be and i think probably most of us if not all of us have a sense in which we feel that we don't always live up to those standards and, and many of us probably feel that there's a sense in which we often or maybe always don't meet those standards maybe because we can't do the things we feel that we should do but maybe also because we can't be we can't be the person that we want to be and so that causes us to feel a sense of shame I suppose or regret at who we truly are and this leads to a sort of cover-up and this is, of course, redolent of the political dimension of life. We, we cover up the reality of who we truly are because we don't feel that we reach the standard. And so we become, if you like, two people. One person, the real person who, who is inside and, and, and really feels these things and really, really wants to measure up but can't and, and regrets it. And then there's another person, and that person is the person that we show to the world. It's the face that we wear. It's the image that we want to project to the world because we're ashamed, maybe, but also because we want other people to think well of ourselves. And so this is what it means to live in darkness. The real you is living in darkness. The fake you is out there in the light, courting favour, trying to win votes if you're a politician. But the real you... That's who you really are, and you keep that covered up. 
And there's a certain extent to which you can do an internal investigation about that. You know, if, if somebody points this out to you, you can think, well, I'm going to investigate myself and I'm going to try and I'm going to try and find the real me. And I want to bring the real me out into the world and live a more integrated existence. And the this is a, undoubtedly a good thing to do. So I've been reading a bit of uh, the Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson recently, and he writes this about this. Taking the easy way out or telling the truth, those are not merely two different choices. They are two different pathways through life. They are utterly different ways of existing. And, and Peterson is right about that. You know, there are, there are authentic people who, who are genuinely in touch with who they really are and they're honest with the world about, about that. And there are people who are not. There are people who are fake. And of course, there's, there's shades of grey in all of this. But, but he's basically right that we all have a truth. We all have a choice whether to live in the truth, whether to live in the light or, or to live in darkness. And I suppose what Jesus is saying is that, well, generally speaking, we don't want the light because we can't handle the light. We can't really tell people and the world and God who we are because it's, because it's not what we want. We want to live with this sense that we are in control of the way we're perceived by the world. We want to live in, so that we're in control of that perception that the world has of us. And as I say, to a certain extent, we can own up to this and we can be honest and we can change this. But I would also say that there's a, there's a limit to this, to how far we're able to do this. And, and there's also a limit to, to how productive this process could be because sometimes you look inside and you get in touch with what's really there and it's scary and you can't change it and it's too dark and and and, and there's a power there which is stopping this from happening and this friends is the power of sin and so an internal investigation can only go so far like it can in in politics there's only so far that you can that you can investigate your own soul because, because the power of sin lives inside of us. That darkness lives inside of us. And there's only so much that we can enlighten ourselves. And then Christ comes and he says, the light has come into the world, but men, men hate the light and they, they love the darkness. And of course, when he talks about the light coming in, into the world, he means he's talking about himself. He has come into the world as the light. Now, why don't men love the light? Why don't they come to the light? The light sounds good. But, but it's not, well, not necessarily anyway, depending on how you look at it. The light is not easy, let's put it that way, because the light is actually judgment. The light is judgment. Now, light is, is good because it helps you to see it and it warms you and it, it, it cooks food and it does all sorts of good things. But it also exposes you. It, it shows you up for who you really are. Now, have you ever met anyone who made you feel like that? I have. There's a very specific person I'm thinking of. I won't say who it is, but, but somebody, often somebody who's very holy, who's very integrated themselves. And when they look at you, when they look in your eyes, it's like they're looking into your soul and they can see who you really are and you can't hide from them. Well, imagine you met somebody like that. But, but imagine that, that that power was was absolutely incredible and, and left, you feel, left you feeling totally vulnerable and naked. Like you were completely exposed and this person knew everything about you, all of your shame, all of your sin. And, and this person could see exactly who you were. This is the light that has come into the world, which we can't help but experience as a type of 
judgment. Now, it's, it's, it's an invitation, and this is, this is what the gospel is about, at least in, in very large part. There's an invitation there to come to the light if you can bear it, if you can bring yourself into that, into that light, if you can, if you like, expose yourself then you, you can come to the light and you don't have to embrace the darkness and live in the darkness, but you have to make a choice to, to step into that light and to accept everything that it represents. Now, that's something of the gospel, of course. But what we see in this, this passage is that the gospel is, is more than just an invitation to the light. It's more than just Christ coming into the world and being the light, as great as that is. The gospel is, is more glorious. And we see that in this, in this passage slightly earlier on where Jesus says, that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that anyone who believes in him should have eternal life. Now this is referring to a passage in the book of Numbers, Numbers 21. And it's this very strange story where all the Israelites are moaning about the fact that they're not in Egypt anymore. And they're very ungrateful. And they say, we don't have any food. Why did you take us out of Egypt? And, and God is angry. And so he sends some serpents into their midst and they start biting them and killing them. And so Moses intercedes for the people and God says to Moses, lift up a serpent, a bronze serpent on a pole. And when the people look at it, they'll live. And so that's what happens. The people look at it and they live. But I think one of the things that's so shocking about this story, particularly when we draw a parallel with Christ on the cross, as Jesus does in John chapter three, is the image of the serpent. Now, we all know what that means. The serpent is not, is not good. It's not associated with the things of God. The serpent is associated with deception and evil and with Satan himself in the garden, in the book of Revelation and in other places as well. So they look at the serpent. In the context of that story in, in Numbers 21, it's very hard to understand why looking at the serpent would be of any significance. Why would I want to look at something that effectively represents evil and sin? my sin. It represents the thing that's killing me, literally, now. And in John chapter 3, we see the answer. As the Son of Man is lifted up in the wilderness. So there's a direct comparison between the serpent, representative of Satan, evil and sin, and Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross. Now, I think the Apostle Paul gets at this perfectly in the second letter to the Corinthians, when he writes that he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the point, friends. The point is, is that Jesus became upon the cross. He became the serpent. He embraced the darkness of sin such that he could even be said to be identified exactly with it. He took the curse of sin upon ourselves and literally embodied it on the cross and so when we look on the cross we we see many things we see God's love of course we do we see an example of obedience and sacrifice yes but we also see a picture of our own sin now what's the significance of this being lifted up again it's about exposure but not the kind of exposure that God invites us to but a brutal torturous exposure a humiliating exposure the the exposure of the cross it's about the whole world seeing this, this shame and this humiliation that the Son of God underwent. And in, in comparison, what God offers us is not the same kind of humiliation and exposure 
but a gentle light which calls us to, to truly open ourselves up to God and to, to know his, his healing and his forgiveness. And yes, we must be honest about who we are and what we're really like, but God doesn't intend to expose us to that kind of shame and humiliation in the same way because Christ has taken that upon himself. And here's where I think we might draw a parallel with, with mothers and, and with Mother's Day. Because motherhood at, at its highest represents something of this. Listen, there's nobody, there's nobody who knows you in quite the same way as your mother. And particularly with situations where the mother has raised the child and, 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 and fed the child at her breast. The child grew in her own body. And, and when a child grows up under a mother's loving gaze, that mother gives of herself for the child, literally, physically gives of herself, gives of her physical well-being, gives of the, the stuff that's inside of her to, to nourish and feed the child. And as the child grows up, the mother, and as I say, this is motherhood at its highest. It's not true for, for all situations, but, but the, mother, the mother loves the child so much and, and wants the child to know her love and wants to sacrifice and, and would sacrifice without even thinking about it for the child. There's a great, there's a great symbolization of this in the figure of the pelican, which was, which was a, a pre-Christian symbol, which was taken up by Christians. And the, the, the legend is that in times of, of famine, the pelican, the mother pelican would, would prick her breast with her beak and she would bleed and the blood would, would, would actually feed her own children. And that ties together that image of, of the mother and of Jesus Christ on the cross perfectly. Because that's what a mother does. She bleeds for the child, for the child's life. She gives of herself. She sacrifices herself. She risks her life in childhood. And, and she does this all out of love. And, and, and she knows the child so well and and she sees all the child's stupidity and she sees all the child's shame and, and ignorance and sin and yet she's still like this this is this is this is what mothers are like they're still like this they still want to give they still want to 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 bleed they still want to to give of themselves and when we look at christ on the cross we see we see a parallel there with christ's blood which gives us life which we receive in the Holy Eucharist, in the Holy Eucharist. This is why Dante called Christ our pelican, because Christ bleeds of himself for us. And so the point of this, I suppose, is to say that it's not just that we're called to the light. It's to ask ourselves the question, what difference would it make? What difference would it make if somebody... If there was a God, let's say, who loved me, even though he knew everything about me, he knew all my shame, he, he knew all my sin, he knew the things that are so embarrassing, he knew the, the person that I really am inside, and everything that I hide from the world, and the way that I try and the way that I try and distance myself from who I really am by putting on a, a facade to the world. God, what difference would it make if God knew about all of that stuff, all of that stuff, and yet I was held forever, embraced forever in his loving gaze. That there was a, there was a, there was a love which, which would never change, 
And that he demonstrated that for me by taking that humiliation upon himself in Jesus. Would that make a difference? Would that make it possible for me to, to come to him and to trust him and to risk myself for him? And I hope it would because that is the message of the gospel. And when we come to John 3.16, we have to understand that when it says God so loved the world, it doesn't mean God loved the world this much. That's not what it means. That's not what the Greek implies. It, it, it's referring to, to the, the story of Moses and the serpent in the wilderness. It's in that way. As God, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so God would give his son to be lifted up. And that's how God loves the world. He gives of himself to take on our shame and to be humiliated in that way. He takes our darkness in that sense so that we might be able to come to the light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we might not perish but have eternal life if, if we believe in him. And this is the final thing I want to say because I think, it's, I think it's very interesting in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, how the people are saved. They're saved by looking at the serpent in the wilderness, by looking up at it, looking at it elevated there. So there's a direct parallel between, between looking and believing. Now that's an, that's an easy thing to say, that belief is just about looking at something. But when you look to something, there's also something deeply challenging. Because when you look at something, you're paying attention to it as well. You are attending to that thing. And so if you attend to the cross, and if you meditate on what it really means, it will transform you, and it will change you, and it will call you, it will beckon you. And you, as well as taking responsibility for your own sin and coming into the light, will start to bear responsibility in the same way as Christ has borne responsibility for us. But I suppose that's a different sermon. And so, Letare, be joyful, rejoice in the light, rejoice in the freedom that Christ has won for us, that we no longer have to live in darkness, but we can come to God and know his cleansing, gentle, warming light. We have to be honest, of course, about who we really are, about our failures, about our shame and about our sin. And we have to carry on doing that. But that's the deal. That's what it is to live in the light. You can't live with one foot in the light and one foot in the darkness. You have to come and you have to bring all of yourself. But you know when you do that, you know you will find love, you will find forgiveness, you will find freedom. And so friends, let us rejoice in that this Mothering Sunday, the love that our mothers have given us and the way that that is reflected or reflective of Christ's love on the cross. And so let us rejoice in the good news of this gospel. Amen.